All right, well, welcome back to the Palview Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. This is Pastor Trey uh, coming to you from beautiful Central Oregon and Powell Butte. And uh, we are <clears throat> continuing through the uh, Gospel of Luke. If uh, you are new to us, uh, welcome on board. If you are uh, continuing uh, to listen to us, thank you so much for uh, continuing to, to just be a part of what we're doing here. Today, I might uh, seem a little weary because for the last two or three days, I've been working on a vehicle, and I'm just exhausted. Anyways, uh, but uh, hopefully, God's word still is able to be understood. So who was your hero growing up? You know, was it uh, your dad or your mom? Was it a baseball star? Was it a teacher? You know, there are all kinds of heroes. There's superheroes. In fact, so many Marvel and DC movies are out today based on superheroes, uh, people have their personal heroes, uh, people that they know, people that they uh, uh, took time to study in school. There's national heroes. I, I love, because I'm a history buff, I, I love our founding fathers. I love reading about Washington and Adams and Alexander Hamilton, you know, with the uh, musical that came out a few years ago uh, based on his uh, contribution to the American uh, founding. Uh, and then later on, you get Lincoln, uh, who free the, frees the slaves. You get uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, you get Harry Truman, you know, a, a lot of heroes, right? Now, for the Jewish community, they had a great hero. His name was Moses. In fact, I think Moses is still one of their greatest heroes. You could say that uh, for the Jew, Moses was actually all of these guys, Washington, Adams, Hamilton, Lincoln, Roosevelt, all rolled into one because <clears throat> he had freed them from slavery in Egypt and then he showed God's power through miracles, uh, sustaining them. He would provide miraculous food and water in the desolate places where they were wandering. Uh, then he uh, gave them the law, and that created a social structure, a religious structure for them as a nation. And essentially, you could say that Moses gave the Jews their constitution. And just like our forefathers who began America and gave us our great constitution, Moses is highly revered even today. He's a true hero. However, he was also just a man. And as good of a man that he was, he was a man with sin. He was a man with weakness. He had flaws. And as a man, like all men, he was mortal. He died. And when he died, God's people were left with this big hole to fill. Who's going to take Moses's place? Turn with me real quick to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. That's the fifth book of the uh, Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter 18. Moses is in the middle of giving the law to the Israelites who were preparing to enter into the promised land. Now, Moses is not going to be with them. That's why he feels it's important for him to give them the law. And so we pick it up in verses 19 uh, through, I mean, sorry, verses 15 through 19. Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb, which is, by the way, Mount Sinai, where the law was given, on the day of the assembly, when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. And the Lord had said to me, what they say is good. So I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything that I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. 
So, if Moses, their hero, is not going to be around anymore, what are they going to do? Well, God is giving them a promise here. A promise to send somebody to them like Moses. And that promised one will be the one who will take over. But he will be able to overcome the flaws and the shortcomings of Moses, the national hero. In the King James Version, it says the promised one will be the prophet like unto Moses. That almost was the title to the sermon this week, like unto Moses. But as I uh, thought about it and I talked with my wife, uh, we agreed that um, the title of the sermon should be what I like to call this promised one. He's the dude from Deuteronomy. The dude from Deuteronomy is going to be like Moses. Well, so what's he going to be like? Well, what was Moses like? Why, why was Moses special? How was he heroic? Well, there were a few things that Moses did. First of all, he would speak for God. Deuteronomy, by the way, is the second time that Moses actually would give the law to God's people. The first generation who had been freed from Egypt, they actually had to die in the wilderness without going into the promised land. See, they had not trusted God when it came time for them to move in. Uh, as they scoped out the land, they saw that it was filled with giants. Yes, it was a great land, but it was a little too scary for them to proceed and fight against these giants. So God punished them for their lack of trust. And he did not allow any of that generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, uh, from entering into the land. So now that generation has died off and a new generation has been raised up. And they are ready to roll under the leadership of uh, Joshua. And there is Caleb right there with him, ready to roll as well. But now Moses is very, very, very old, and he knows his death is imminent. So before he dies, he wants to give the law to the people once again. It is the second law, and that's essentially what Deuteronomy means. Now, one of the key things that Moses wanted the people to know, and you see this all through the book of Deuteronomy, is that God is a God who speaks, and he wants people to listen. You know, God consistently reminds his people that he is different from all of the pagan gods in Canaan because he can speak. He, he calls their idols mute. It's as if he is priding himself on being a God who actually communicates with his people. And so to this point, he has used Moses as his spokesman. So for the people to be able to hear from God, that's this huge theme that we find in Deuteronomy. In fact, back in chapter 6, Verses 4 and 5 in Deuteronomy, we read what is known in the Hebrew as the Shema, which is a prayer that they would pray twice a day, the Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word that means to hear or to listen. And it begins the prayer, Shema, that word begins the prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, I bet you've heard that, right? But that's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel. Now, God is not just saying, hey, let the sound waves pass over your ears. No, he wants them to hear him, to understand, and then to demonstrate that they understand by actually obeying to change their ways. I, I have a little sister, Talisha Joy. Talisha is 10 years younger than me, and so uh, in her early days, I was, I, I was able to actually watch how mom and dad would raise a small child, and, and actually kind of comprehend what's going on. Uh, one one day, this is a story that we tell in our family, and you know, it'll stay with me till 
the day I die. Uh, Talisha was trying to get dad's attention. Now, dad is in ministry and uh, he was a part of that generation of ministry where they just got so busy doing so many other things. And he was very distracted, even though he might be home. He really wasn't with us all the time at home. He was working on a sermon or uh, thinking about his next counseling session or, or whatnot. And Talisha, being maybe almost three, uh, she really was craving uh, my dad's attention. And dad was just not paying attention. I think he might have even had his crossword puzzle book out. I don't know. Anyways, but I, I remember her sitting on his lap in the chair, and he's not really paying attention to her. And finally, she takes his, hand, his, his face in her hands, you know, a, a hand on either side of his cheeks, and makes him look at her. And she says, Daddy, listen to me. Listen to all of me. Listen to all of me. See, that's, that's what God really wants of his people. He says, I, I want you not just to uh, give me kind of a cursory glance or a, oh, yeah, I think, I, I think maybe I heard you. It's as if through Moses, God was telling his people, no, 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 no. Listen, I want to talk with you. I want to communicate with you. So I want you to listen to all of me. Moses was a hero because he spoke for God. Number two, he was a hero because he would stand in the gap for the people. You know, the, the, the people being sinful, they could not enter into God's presence. There in verses 16 and 17 of, of Deuteronomy 18, you, you'll see that they understood this. They understood that they could not go. They were afraid of getting too near God because they knew what it would mean. And God gave them warnings. I mean, there was this huge cloud covering the mountain uh, where his presence was, and there was thunder and lightning and and uh, and a very loud trumpet blast, and, and the earth shook, and everyone trembled. You know, I, I love it when people say, man, I, I would love it if God's spirit would just show up. Oh, God, let your spirit descend on this place, they'll, they'll pray. And I, I, I think to myself, are you sure you want that? Because if you look in the Bible, every time that God's spirit showed up, man, the place rumbled, and it was scary. Why? Because God was saying, you as a sinful people cannot come near me. I am holy and you are not. Uh, why, why is it wrong to stare into the sun? I mean, they always tell us that. And, and of course, we all want to do it, especially when there's like a, an eclipse, right? But they say, don't look at the sun. Don't stare into the sun. I mean, you're, you're thinking, but the sun is like 94 and a half million miles away. Well, what damage could it possibly do to me if I look at it, right? But that's how much power it has, 94 and a half million miles away, and it still can blind you. It can still do damage to your eyes, right? Well, so how about the God who created the sun? How much more power and glory does he have? God says, nobody can look on my full glory and live. And the people understood that. They they actually said there in verses 16 and 17, God, God reminded Moses, remember, the people said, it is not good for us to get near God. And God says, yeah, that's right. It's not good for them to come near me because they will die. They will die. And so God, in his love, appoints Moses to be the one who would serve as a go-between because God still wanted to show his love to his people. He still wanted to provide for them. He still wanted to have a relationship with him, but he knew that they would be consumed by his unlimited glory. A glory so great, by the way, that when he would let Moses come in and, and just take a quick glance at his glory, 
Moses would actually leave that meeting with his face glowing with the aftermath, so much so that he had to wear a veil so that the people would not be blinded, the, the people that he was having his next meetings with, right? That's the kind of glory God has. And the people understood, we can't be in your presence. We need to have a go-between. We need to have somebody be a runner between us so that we don't die. And Moses was a hero because he served as that go-between. As a, He would stand in the gap. And finally, number three, Moses is going to show the authority of God's name. In, in verses 18 and 19, God actually says that this dude from Deuteronomy will speak in his name, just like Moses did. See, Moses, in speaking God's name, would operate under the authority of the Lord. That's what it means to be operating under the name or speaking in the name of the Lord God. You are using his authority. Now, God's name was supposed to be revered because it was a unique name that would bring unique authority over the lives of the people. When God was actually commissioning Moses uh, to free the people and he shows up in, in the burning bush, Moses asked, well, what, what, what happens if they're asking me about my credentials? What, what, when they ask, well, who is sending you? What's his name? God answers in Exodus 3.14, you tell them, I am who I am. I am, tell them, I am has sent me to you. That's his name, I am. And in that powerful name, that authority of the God of the universe, the creator of heavens and earth, in the name of that Lord, Moses would display God's power over the so-called gods of Egypt through all of the plagues. Then he would part the Red Sea for the people to escape the pursuing Egyptian army. Then he would give people bread from heaven miraculously when they were wandering in this desolate place, this wilderness. And, and then he would bring forth water from the rock when they needed fresh water. But he would also uh, punish people or bring God's punishment to people when they strayed from obeying the Lord. And he would also then offer miraculous healing to those who were repentant. See, Moses was a hero. But, you know, as, as much of a hero as he was, because he was also a human, he failed. His leadership was great, but it wasn't perfect. Because the people didn't always listen to God's words that were given through Moses. They didn't always trust Moses to stand in the gap for them. People still died because they refused to uh, allow Moses to exercise the authority of God's name. So there in Deuteronomy 18, God says, you know what, Moses, you've done a great job. You've been a great hero. But you need to let the people know that I'm going to bring them another version of you. Actually, a better version of you, Moses. And they would do well to listen this time. All right, a lot of background. What does this have to do with the Gospel of Luke? Well, if you have been with me uh, for any length of time, you understand that my brain kind of works in a weird way. Anyway, now we're going to go to Luke chapter 9. And again, there are three passages that all could stand alone, each having their own sermon, right? But once again, I, I, I see this amazing thread that runs through all three, and it binds them together to show us, to demonstrate, to illuminate something that's more significant than what many of us would ever realize. First of all, we, we get from verse 10 and following, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, when the apostles returned, verse 10 of Luke 9, they reported to Jesus what they had done. He took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it. They followed, and uh, Jesus welcomed them, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. 
Now, late in the afternoon, the twelve came to Jesus and said, um, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages in the countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote or a desolate place here. And he replied, you give them something to eat. And they answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish uh, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And so the disciples did so. And everybody sat down and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke them. And then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people and they all ate. And they were all satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, it is interesting because this is one of those um, accounts in Jesus's ministry that are actually in all four Gospels. But there are, Luke does not have all of the other details that we get from Matthew and Mark and John. Now, I think that's important to note because I, I think that Luke is saying there is something bigger than just the lesson about how God will take this little lunch that you bring to him and multiply it uh, for the benefit of his kingdom. I mean, that I've heard sermons on that. I've heard uh, uh, Sunday school lessons on that. Yes, if you bring God a little, he will multiply it. Yes, but I think there's something more than that. I, I think it's more than just about Jesus having compassion on the people who were hungry that day. Yeah, those things are true. And they can, we can definitely learn from the, this event about that. But I believe there is more, and it has to do with tying back into what Moses did for the people. Next, we have Peter's confession of, of the Christ. Um, there in the next passage, uh, once when Jesus was praying in private and the disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But who do? what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And then he said to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now, it's interesting. Here we have Jesus showing his, um, I'm sorry, he's explaining, um, he's asking them, who do people say that I am? And it's, the, the, it's Peter, and, and we read of this in another gospel, where Peter actually has this divine inspiration. And Jesus says, you know, you didn't get that from anybody here on earth. You got that from my Father in heaven. But uh, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God, right? But what does Jesus immediately go on to do? He begins to explain what that means, what being the Messiah means. It, it's going to mean that there's going to be a rejection of the, uh, of the religious leaders of the day. And then there's going to be a death. And then there's going to be a resurrection. And, and it was eventually going to mean that the followers of the Messiah 
they're going to be the ones who will stand with confidence before the, when the, before the Father, when the Father comes in all of his glory. Why? Well, because the Messiah will stand in the gap for them, essentially. So that's the second passage that we want to look at. And the third passage is uh, starts in verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John's and John, and James with him, and they went up to a mountain to pray. And he was praying, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, they appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, with which he was about to bring the fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions, they were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, uh, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept them, this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. So here we have Jesus now showing his true glory, his true identity to Peter, John, and James. They went up to the mountain. He begins to pray. And as he prays, he begins to radiate with God's glory. And, and suddenly there are two guys standing there. And, and Peter miraculously knows that they are Moses and Elijah. I, I always wondered, how did he know? How did he know? Did they have like the, hello, my name is Moses? Uh, I mean, obviously, they didn't look like their pictures because they didn't have that, that kind of art back there. You, you, you couldn't take a picture of Moses and Elijah and say, yeah, I recognize them like you can with Lincoln or Washington in, in, in our history. So how do they know? Well, I, I believe that when Luke says he did not know what he was saying, is that he was not, he on his own, just like on his own, he didn't know that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, but the, the Spirit of God had told him that. Here, he didn't know that they were Moses and Elijah, but somehow God revealed it to Peter that it was Moses and Elijah, right? Now, what's the significance of Moses and Elijah showing up there with Jesus? Well, Moses and Elijah will forever represent the Old Testament scriptures. Moses gave the law. Elijah was the most famous of all prophets, okay? And he was the one who did not die. He was the one who was actually prophesied to actually come back before the Messiah would show up. So you have the guy representing the law, and you've got the guy representing the prophets, the law and the prophets. Well, guess what? That's exactly how the Jews would refer to their Old Testament scriptures. So the law and the prophets, they have shown up. So they have their testimony. The scripture is testifying uh, the glory of Jesus as the Messiah. All right. So now there's the three stories. In those three stories, we have Jesus feeding bread to a people who are in a desolate place who have a need. We have then a divine revelation of the character, the identity of the Christ, but also the revelation that he will die and be resurrected, and his followers do not need to be ashamed. Okay? And then finally, we have demonstrate, Jesus demonstrating his true glory 
as well as a command from heaven. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. All right. Now let's tie these things together. Okay. Because I believe that if you see it, it's, it's going to pop out and you, you'll never forget this. Okay. It becomes incredibly clear. Listen to him. Go back to Deuteronomy 18. The dude from Deuteronomy that is promised, the prophet like unto Moses, Moses says, you must listen to him. Just like what God says on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my son. Listen to him. Folks, there it is. Luke is tying this whole section of his narrative of Jesus's ministry back to Deuteronomy, showing us that Jesus is the dude from Deuteronomy. He is the prophet like unto Moses that God promised to send to his people. He's going to speak for the Lord. He's going to stand in the gap for the people. And he's going to show God's glory and power through the lifting up of his name. Now, this is interesting. Check this out. Uh, Who am I talking about here? Ready? He was born a Jew during a time of foreign oppression. A local leader is jealous, tries to kill him, and in his futile attempts, massacres many, many other babies. This man chooses to leave a place of royalty so that he could identify with his own people. He spends a period of 40 units of time in the wilderness. He eventually identifies as a shepherd. He speaks the words of God to those who oppose God, and and he performs miracles to demonstrate the, the truth of his words. He will go on to free his people from slavery. He will give them the law. He will feed them with bread miraculously provided from heaven. Uh, When the people sin and are facing the punishment of death, he will set up a stake on which is affixed the very emblem of their sin, but which will also provide healing for those who in faith would look up to that emblem for their salvation. So who am I talking about? Sure sounds like Moses, you know, Uh, born when the Pharaoh was oppressing the people and he chose not to be a prince of Egypt, but to identify with the people. He's a shepherd. He performed miracles. Uh, Yeah, that, that could be Moses. Or it could be Jesus, right? Do you see this amazing thing? Back in Deuteronomy, in fact, all of Moses's ministry was a foreshadowing of what God was going to eventually do through his own son, Jesus Christ. Jesus and Moses both miraculously provide bread, substance from heaven for the people who are wandering in a desolate place. Jesus's death will reconcile people to God, and Jesus's glorification will bring forth the name, the authority of the Father. And God himself tells us this is the one that we must listen to. Now, in the Gospel of John, by the way, when Jesus is performing all of his miracles, some actually said, wow, this is the prophet who is supposed to come into this world. See, they understood what the events meant. As the Gospel then began to be proclaimed, there in the book of Acts, Peter confirmed this. In Acts chapter 3, he, he told them to repent, right, so that their sins might be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come and that the Lord might send the Christ 
because Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. So Peter is confirming this, that this is Jesus. He's the dude from Deuteronomy. Wow, that's awesome. But why did we need somebody like Moses? Well, why, why wasn't Moses enough? Why isn't the law enough for God's people? Here's your answer. Because as great as Moses was, again, he could not do for the people what was most needed because he was merely a man. And though he would serve God very faithfully, standing in the gap for the people and leading them and teaching them and giving them the law, he could only give the law on stone tablets. I want to finish up today uh, reading from the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 10. Because the author of Hebrews is giving us a beautiful picture of why we needed a better hero. One that will offer something infinitely more significant than what Moses did. Starting in verse 1, just listen to this. This is pretty amazing. The law, the author of Hebrews says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices, repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins, of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into this world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. I've come to be the dude from Deuteronomy. Now, I, I want to jump down to verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which which can never take away sins. But when, verse 12, this priest, this dude from Deuteronomy, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit testifies about this. Because first he says, this is the covenant that I will, I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds their sins and lawless acts. I will remember no more. I will put my law in their hearts. I will write my law on their minds. You know, the author of Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet. But really, he's quoting the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. You see, as great of a man and as a great of a hero as Moses was, there was a deficiency that naturally was there because Moses was merely a man. In fact, in John chapter 7, verse 19, Jesus says to the Jewish leaders, uh, hasn't Moses given you the law? And yet, you don't keep it. See, we honor Moses, they would say. Jesus would say, no, you don't, because you don't understand what the ministry of Moses was truly about. And in John 5, Jesus would say, do not think that I'm going to accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is going to be Moses, on whom you've set your hope. 
Because if you believed Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? There is hope, church, in what we read of here in Luke 9, because Jesus is really the promised one. He is the dude from Deuteronomy. He's the one that Moses' ministry pointed to. But if you're not listening to him, then you really didn't understand what Moses was all about, did you? See, that was the problem with the first century Jews who claimed to be children of Abraham. But Jesus said, no, you're really children of the devil because you're not living by faith like Abraham did. See, there's a call not to just understand with our heads that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised prophet. If that is true, there is a call for us to listen to him, listen to all of him. Why? Because this is the one that God chose to reconcile the world back to himself through. This is the one that we cannot reject or else the spiritual death that we were born into will have its way in the end and there will be no everlasting life. Listen to all of me. Are you listening to all of Jesus? Are you able to devote yourself to hearing all of his word without giving in to all of the distractions in our world? It, it doesn't mean just picking up the sound waves or, or coming to hear a sermon uh, on a weekly basis. Because you can hear everything that Jesus says to you, but not really hearing them because you don't put them into practice. When Jesus commands us to forgive, for example, that's not just an ideal to shoot for. There, there is this expectation that we need to be forgiven. When he commands us to be pure and have integrity, well, then we must strive for that, even when it gets hard or when our culture looks at us like we're weirdos. When he invites us to invest in his kingdom with our time and our talent and our treasure, then we can trust that he knows what he's talking about and he's going to take care of us as we have enlisted in his movement to take back the darkness of the world. Man, I love this. I love how you can read the, these passages in Luke and in Deuteronomy and tie them together and realize that God has always been very clear. You must listen to Jesus. Because as great of a hero as Moses was, Jesus is even more than just the dude from Deuteronomy. He is the Word of God who was with God in the beginning and who was God, through whom and for whom and by whom everything was made. He has ultimate authority in this whole world. He is the one that we must follow and listen to. All right, well, that's uh, what I have to say for this week. Uh, praying that God gives you a good week, a, a blessed week th this week, and uh, that you'll tune in again if you're ever in our uh, neighborhood in, in uh, Central Oregon, uh, in the Bend, Redmond area. We'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. Uh, you can always tune in to our podcast on YouTube. And uh, other than that, uh, just continue to listen to the podcast. Uh, may God bless you. And we'll uh, talk with you uh, next week. I want to thank Lisa Welly and uh, Steve Pittman and all the other people who make it possible for this podcast to, to, uh, to happen.